Hello, friends, and welcome to Beauty the Interviews, a podcast production of The Beautiful Project, a storytelling collective that invites women back to their bodies and into a world where we belong with substance and with strength. I'm Sarah Stevens, your host for this podcast and the founder of The Beautiful Project. With only two episodes left to go in this season of Survivors, I am overjoyed to be able to bring you my friend Katie across the microphone for today. Katie's story is about surviving miscarriage. Interestingly enough, as I did some research before this episode, I discovered that there are lots of people who protest the idea of um, framing miscarriage as an event for survival you know, that we're surviving miscarriage. And there's a lot of nuance involved in that. But what I really want to invite everyone to consider as they listen to this episode is the prevalence of miscarriage. Um, Katie talks about it, and here the statistic is that one in four women have survived a miscarriage. And I think because of its prevalence, we assume that it should be easy to pass off as just something else that happened for us to move beyond. Katie does such a beautiful job of slowing down the story long enough to access the parts that were sincerely painful. And she also talks about how she can look back at it now and understand that she wishes she had slowed down even more to be able to process what was happening to her. So I'm hopeful that you find something for yourself today in Katie's words. And without further ado, let's drop in and hear from the brave and the beautiful Katie. So this is my friend Katie, and Katie and I have um, just recently met each other in the last six months or so through some other organizations. Uh, I mean, we've had lunch and coffee and just a really great time. I took her to a vegan restaurant that she uh, hated, (laughs) but (laughs) she doesn't like crunchy food, guys. She does not like crunchy food. But um, I had shared with her the concept for season two for the podcast, and she reached out to me and said, I have a survival story that I'd like to share so thank you for your willingness, and thanks for being on. Absolutely. I'm yeah. excited. Good. So we'll get started the way that we always get started, and um, I want to know what you think it means to be a survivor. It's a big, heavy question. Mm-hmm. Everyone's definition of survivorship is different because each day I think we're surviving something, mm-hmm. and it might be heavy and it might be light compared to what someone else is surviving. So to me, survivorship means that each day you wake up and you keep moving forward in the best way possible. Mm -hmm. And it might not be at lightning speed and it might not be with quickness in any way, shape, or form, Mm -hmm. but you're trying. Yeah. You're sharing your story. You're talking through things. You're not living in your own being, but you're getting out of your being and working through. That's good. You're here. You're present. You're still here. I've had more than one woman say that. Say, I'm still here. I'm here. That's that's what it means. Mm-hmm. I'm on the other side of it, and I'm still here. So um, share with us what you will about your own story of survival with as much or as little detail as you wanted to share. Sure. So my husband and I knew that we wanted to have a child of our own. I have four bonus babies with mm-hmm. him, and they're wonderful, but we knew we needed that one last puzzle piece to our family. And so we tried and we tried and we tried, and it felt like an eternity for me to get pregnant. It was really months is all it was, Um, but it felt like it was forever each month waiting to know if I was pregnant or not. Did you expect it to be immediate? Yes. Yeah. I thought, because in my life, 
when I make a decision to do something, I make it happen right then. Right. So I made the decision that it was time. So it should have been like 24 hours ago that it actually happened. (laughs) (laughs) That's an awesome reflection. (laughs) I make everything else happen. So why wouldn't this just happen? Right. Yeah. Yeah. I decide. So it happens. Well, that's not the way that works (laughs) at all. So we kept trying again. It felt like forever. It wasn't. And one day I was at work and someone else was sharing that he he thought his girlfriend was pregnant. Mm -hmm. And I thought to myself, shoot, I think I might be pregnant, which is really funny because I've been like overly tracking if I could possibly be pregnant, but it was a busy time at work. And so that wasn't quite on my brain. So I went home that night, got out the stick and I was pregnant. I went to the gym by myself and I stared in the mirror and I was, you know, it was one of those moments like, oh, I'm pregnant. Do I, I hadn't told anyone mm-hmm. and told Chuck, my husband, not, you know, no one. And I looked in the mirror at the gym and I thought, does someone know? You know, someone next to me probably knows right now that I'm pregnant. And I didn't even know I was pregnant, you know, two hours ago. <laughs> so I was trying to come up with this grand plan to mm-hmm. tell Chuck, you know, that I'm pregnant. And it just kind of slipped out and we were super, super excited. And I ate like a million cheeseburgers over a six-week period of time. So I thought that's what you do. <laughs> I was hungry you, for cheeseburgers. I was going to say, were you actually hungry for the cheeseburgers? I don't you? know if I really was like yeah. cheeseburger. Yeah, you might have been. Maybe, yeah. yeah. So we told my parents and I told my boss. And uh, we were Tuesday night movie buffs at the time, you know, cheap movie yeah. ticket night. And everything always seemed to happen on Tuesday nights, like realizations in life. It was a Tuesday. No, it was a Wednesday when I originally found out I was pregnant, but we had been to Tuesday night, movie night the night before. So we were at the movie theater on a Tuesday night, and I was probably eating because that's what I was doing really well at that time. And I went to the bathroom, and I had a spot of blood. Mm -hmm. And I went back in the theater and didn't say anything. And then I went to the bathroom again because, like, then you can't stop thinking about the spot of blood. Mm-hmm. And there was a little, a little bit more blood. And it wasn't bright red, so I thought, well, maybe it's nothing. But I'm a worrier, so it was something. Mm-hmm. So we got in the car, and I told Chuck. And he's like, Kate, just call the doctor in the morning. You know, I, I'm sure it's fine. Mm-hmm. It's not a big deal. So I naturally, like, hardly slept that night. And Woke up the next morning, told my boss I'm not coming to work, um, called my doctor's office and went in for an ultrasound. There was a heartbeat there. We don't know what the spot of blood is. Don't worry. Mm-hmm. And then because I... Because that can be very normal. Right. Yeah. Um, so I went home and, you know, continued to worry because, I mean, a doctor, what do they know? So <laughs> I'll continue to worry. And I stayed home from work and then... The blood became heavier, brighter red. Um, my dad happened to be at my house helping out with some stuff, and I told him, I, I think I need I need Chuck to come home. Mm-hmm. And my dad was trying to be optimistic, you know, like, I'm, the doctor already told you, it's you're fine. And I said, no, you know, he needs to come home now. So he flew home from work quickly, um, probably much faster than any human should drive in the Quad Cities. And by that time, there was an immense amount of blood. And I called my doctor's office, and they said, just go to the ER. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was one of those moments that you already know what's yeah. happening. Yeah. 
and you just want to live in that nothing is happening. Mm-hmm. Um, and this part might be a little bit graphic, but we all have our our things that stick in our brain. And Chuck has always been this shoulder, and, mm-hmm. and he is just a very strong statured person anyway, but he's always been good at letting things roll off of him and letting your stuff hit him and rebound and, you know, using you as a board. But I had kind of been that person for him for mm-hmm. a few months in our relationship, and I didn't know that I needed someone to be that for me. Mm-hmm. So we were at the hospital, and... Um, we walk in, and, and I have to tell the front desk what I believe is happening, that I'm having a miscarriage, and they're asking you, why do you think you're having a miscarriage? And inside, you don't know if you want to cry or punch someone, or, you know, they're they're just kind of in your way, mm-hmm. more or less, and you're just waiting mm-hmm. for someone to confirm. Um, yep. And so we're back in the room, and I'd already went to the bathroom. I'd asked for some help as far as getting a pad or something to help with all of the blood. And I'm not a medical person, so the amount of blood was very alarming to me. Oh, yeah, it's scary. Mm -hmm. And so we finally get back into the room, and I just remember undressing for the um, exam and holding Chuck's shoulder and him helping me to undress. And that was probably a very one of the more defining moments in our relationship because I didn't know how I felt. I didn't know if I felt scared, sad, a little bit of shame, like I had done something Mm -hmm. um, that made this go wrong. Mm -hmm. And it's just something I'll never forget, him helping to take everything away so that I didn't have to look at it. Mm -hmm. And he grabbed my hand, we went and we did all the ultrasounds and everything that they needed for the doctor's office. And and we both knew, because we knew what to look for on the ultrasound, that there was no fluttering and there, there was no sign of life. And we went, and neither of us spoke. We just stayed silent with each other. And we went back to our regular room, and he said, Katie, and I just told him, I know. You know, because I knew he was going to try to tell me before the nurse came in. And everything changed from there. You know, you go home and you go through the grieving process. But what I didn't know would happen was the shift in our relationship, Mm -hmm. the shift in the way I would look at other people or envy or hide. Mm -hmm. Um, And... We saw our nurse, ironically enough, at Tuesday Night Movie Mm. a few weeks after. Mm. And it was just one of those culminating, all coming together, Mm -hmm. smack in your heart and head type of moments that we saw her there of all places. But we got pregnant again shortly thereafter. And what I think that women maybe don't, realize or don't want to acknowledge or or maybe it's totally different for them but that next pregnancy with Charlie our daughter was just scary for weeks uh-huh. you know I was just kind of waiting for mm-hmm. it to happen again and I I don't think that Chuck and I bonded over my pregnancy with Charlie near as much as what we did with our first baby mm-hmm. 
um, out of fear. And I don't know that he would ever say it, but I will. You know, that we, we didn't really want to put too much into it, not knowing if she would stay with us. Yeah, I totally. I want to pause you for a second. You said you go through the grieving process. I want to, I want to circle back to what that was like, because here's what I think happens with miscarriage, because it's so common. Mm-hmm. Um, that we do this and we we find out that, I don't know what the statistic is, I probably should have figured it out before we sat down, but I know almost every woman I know has suffered a miscarriage, almost every one single one. Four. Thank you. Yeah. It feels like more than that to yeah. me. Mm-hmm. Once you say it, it's like everyone else feels comfortable to say, yes, me it's too. happened to me too. Yeah. So we do this, I don't, and I, I'm wondering if it comes from, this cultural expectation that we just carry on, you know, like, oh, we're every, we're always okay. Mm-hmm. You just carry on. But I do feel like there is some um, lack of attention paid to what is a very real grieving process when you lose a baby mm-hmm. that you wanted, mm-hmm. you know. So I would like us to talk a little bit about what that is like and what you did with that and whether or not you did sort of move your own emotions quickly to go, Let's just get on with it, you know? So talk a little bit about what that grieving process was like internally. So you talked about it relationally with you and Chuck, Mm -hmm. but talk about what it was like inside of you. Mm -hmm. It was very much um, a pit of darkness. However, my pit didn't feel as big as others. I know plenty of women in particular who have lost children that they've already held in their arms, they've already loved, and the world has known. And so my pit didn't feel worthy of continued sadness. Mm. And so I I think I hit it. And plus, this is going to sound a little bit raw, but people say really stupid stuff to you. Yes. In general, in life, but after miscarriage especially. um, And I've learned that I have said those stupid things too. And now I know Mm -hmm. don't. Mm -hmm. A friend taught me just say, I'm sorry that happened. That sucks. Mm -hmm. And that might not seem like a lot and it might not seem deep and meaningful, but things like it wasn't meant to be or it could have meant that the baby was going to have something wrong with them. You know, these are all things that you hear that you think at the moment in your dark side, I just shut up. I don't care. You know, I, that was my baby and I lost my baby. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'd much rather hear the, I'm sorry, it sucks. Mm-hmm. But for me, it was as though I was only pregnant for a short period of time. And so since that was a short period of time, my grieving stage needed to be a short period of time as well. Mm. That's how you, that's what you told yourself. Yeah. It okay. should be done and should it should be, be over. Mm-hmm. Let's move on. And at the beginning, you asked me about survivorship. And I I think that I was briskly walking forward Mm. in survivorship. Got it. Where I should have slowed down Mm -hmm. and said, here's what hurts about this, and here's what I'm feeling, and here's what I'm scared of in the future. Mm -hmm. And to have not been so afraid to talk to other people about it. Mm -hmm. We don't talk to each other about it either, It's which is so strange to me because... There isn't, I mean, I think we know enough, again, you know, with the prevalence of miscarriage, and I think we know enough medically now to know that there's no actual shame in having miscarried a baby. There's no, 
there's no, I, I necessarily did something wrong. Like we're all aware of that, but we don't talk about miscarriage, about the loss. And we do have a sense of, well, she got up and survived quickly. I should too. Right. We don't make a lot of room for our pain. I remember my ex-husband and I lost a baby in between baby two and number three. And, um, and we'd had two, you know, term pregnancies. We weren't expecting, mm-hmm. we were expecting a third term pregnancy. That's, right. you know, and, uh, I remember uh, the experience, I remember the deep grief the night of the miscarriage and then feeling like I was in this weird sort of disconnected state from the world for a little bit. Mm -hmm. And at the time we were in therapy and so we started to talk about it in therapy. And I remember saying to the therapist, I don't know why I can't just let this go. Like, Everybody else just lets it go, and I'm having, I am, it's, this baby is all I'm thinking about. It's Mm -hmm. all I'm thinking about. She had us create a ritual, like a burial. I mean, she let us ritualize the experience, which was really helpful Mm -hmm. for me in moving on in a way that was, that could acknowledge the loss. But, um, but I don't think we give ourselves that, that, like that gift of like, it's, it doesn't matter how long, like how you understand this life inside of you, there's a natural attachment mm-hmm. and you don't have to hold it to know it. It's mm-hmm. inside of you. Right. And the experience of miscarrying a baby is very traumatic. Mm-hmm. The actual physical experience of it. Like you said, you don't want exactly. to be gory or gross, but it is traumatic. Just because we get sent home to deal with it doesn't mean that it's not traumatic. Right. And there's no follow-up. No. So you're you're in the hospital... And you're being told that you're no longer pregnant. And really, you don't, or at least I didn't, know what all my body was going to go through. Mm -hmm. But you go home, and then you're told to check in with your OB. Mm -hmm. And then what? Now, for me, luckily, my OB office is this family Mm -hmm. of women. And they knew that it was going to be painful to come for what felt like forever, week after week, to get blood drawn to make sure that all my hormone levels were balancing out. And I loved all of those girls there. I knew them, and and I loved them. And they knew that when I came, I was going to put on a fake smile, Mm -hmm. and you were going to draw my blood, and I was going to hate being there, but I was going to push my way through it. Mm -hmm. But they let me be. And that was probably the only quote-unquote therapy that I received from it. Yeah. No one followed up to make sure mentally or emotionally I was okay. Right. But at least the nurses there let me put out my arm for the blood draw and be angry. Yeah. You know, it was, it was okay to not be happy there. And that was a little bit helpful, but, man, it felt like I went there forever to get blood drawn and I'm sure it wasn't that long but it felt like an eternity but you talked about the disconnect feeling from the The world world. Mm -hmm. and I distinctly remember the next day we went and got breakfast because you have to get out of the house you know Mm -hmm. it's just like it will swallow you and and so we got out of the house and we went and had breakfast and I remember sitting there and feeling so incredibly numb mm-hmm. that there were so many people around me and I just wanted to hide mm-hmm. in that booth. I didn't want anyone to look at me and 
I felt sick, and we tried to just keep moving mm-hmm. because I knew that would be what would be best for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but now looking back, I wonder if that movement was truly necessary. Right. That it might have been okay to sit. I think we, this is true in um, general, so with our pain, or actually mostly just with pain, it's unpleasant to feel it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean... Nobody goes, well, some people do. Some people do think pain is pleasant, um, which is a different thing all entirely. That's a different podcast. But uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah, it doesn't really mesh with this. No, it doesn't. But, for, uh, but in general, the human experience is that we try to move past pain as quickly as possible. My experience is that often when I do that, parts of the pain get stuck in me, mm-hmm. like because I didn't let them move all the way through me before I started moving away from them, Right. right? And they just stay with me until uh, they usually build up and I need to do something grand with them, you know, uh, whether it's therapy or some sort of intervention to move the pain through us. Because I think, I don't think you're alone at all, I think, particularly with miscarriage. Because I also think that the lack of resources, you talked about how there's this lack of follow-up. There's a there's some attention paid to what's happening in our physical body, mm-hmm. but there's almost no attention paid to what's happening for our spirit or for us emotionally. And so that obviously then communicates that I should be fine. Right. But I don't feel fine. Right. Right. It wasn't until I was pregnant again that I was asked about my emotional state. Wow. And and I feel like that's common practice that you fill out the chart yeah. while you're pregnant about how you're feeling and, yeah. and then they make sure afterwards that you're okay too. But that was the first time that someone said, you know, mentally, where are you at? Emotionally, mm-hmm. where are you at? Mm-hmm. So you get pregnant with Charlie. How soon after? I was pregnant with Charlie. Um, well, I did the six-week wait like you're yes. supposed to. And I was pretty much right after that. Mm-hmm. So it was very quick. And ultimately, um, we were overjoyed and shocked. I didn't think it would happen that quickly. We actually had booked an international trip to get away. Mm. And lo and behold, I was pregnant and Mm. very sick. The whole 24-hour traveling experience. So that was great. But that six-week period of time between our first baby and being pregnant with Charlie and then becoming pregnant with Charlie, I... I don't think I properly used that time either to prepare to be pregnant again. Mm. And so then it's like, well, here we go. Mm -hmm. You're on this ride. Mm -hmm. And it was different. It was a different feeling. And I will say this um, in regard to the the dumb comments that people can say to you. Sometimes things do just feel different. Mm -hmm. And when I was pregnant with Charlie... Whether it was that the first baby was maybe going to be a boy instead of a girl, and so there was different hormone levels, that I don't know. But when I was pregnant with Charlie, everything in my body felt different. Mm -hmm. And it might have been my internal spirit and body saying, we're doing this this time. Mm -hmm. You know, we're, we're not going backward and we're not, this baby's staying. Yeah. Determination. And I know I can't control that. No. But there was something in there that felt different. Yeah. But you still had the anxiety the entire time. The entire time. You wait. You wait for the ultrasound to have something wrong. I think I held my breath at every ultrasound and just waited for them to tell me, you know, 
well, we see this or we don't see that, that we need to. Mm -hmm. And each appointment was fine. Mm -hmm. And I'd leave and I'd think, okay, see, there was nothing to be worked up about. Mm -hmm. And then I'd do it all over again <laughs> each time. So that makes for, you've shared with me some of your experiences with that pregnancy and that helps me too to understand, aside from the physical challenges you had in your pregnancy with Charlie also, mm -hmm. what was happening for you emotionally, mm -hmm. like that constant sense of, um, I might lose this. And so then that, that moves your level of attachment. You, you acknowledged it already that both of you were kind of like cautiously optimistic, but mm -hmm. not all in like you were the first time, right? Right, right. And I, I really think that it was between the two of us that I felt this extreme attachment to Charlie and this extreme um, will, so mm -hmm. to say, that you're mine and and we're going to meet each other. Mm -hmm. And I think Chuck felt that too, but together is where we lacked that sharing. Mm -hmm. There wasn't the the constant belly rubbing and the, the sense of, oh, this is my pregnant wife. And I don't hold that against him. I just have to wonder if it was because he experienced something in that miscarriage too that men also don't share. I was just going to say that. So what, what was, what, from your point of observation, did it seem like he was able to process any grief with you or on his own? If he was processing grief, it was very privately done. Mm -hmm. We had, I, I think he so much needed to be a pillar of strength during the physical mm -hmm. loss mm -hmm. that he, he knew I couldn't stand on my own during those couple days. Mm -hmm. And then we went back to the daily grind of life. And I know that's where he does a lot of his processing is when he's working or when he's driving. And so I think he did it privately, mm. which is difficult because then you wonder if you're sharing the same emotion and the same feeling. Do you feel the same darkness and the same sting that I feel? Right. Or are you fine? Right. Yeah. And then back to what you said, so should I be fine? Right. If you're right, you're looking out externally for a measure, and if the measure is everyone around me is moving on with their life, I should too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm glad we dove underneath the surface of this because what happens, I've had other interviews with women who've survived miscarriage, but one of the things that'll happen is we just go, well, I miscarried, I, I lost that baby, and then I lost that baby. And it's really nice to slow down and go, let's dive under what that means. Right. So I lost that baby. Because there's this all this unexplored stuff under that that we never really touch because we're supposed to just move on, right? Right. Um, yep. Sadly. So thank you for sharing that with me. Thank you for giving me a place to share it. Yeah. So there are women in the audience um, who are... Uh, who are surviving something, and uh, I don't know what it is, in, and for some of them probably is miscarriage. You know, this could be day one. Mm -hmm. um, what is it that you want them to know about about surviving, about themselves and survival, um, about what it means, about what they're invited to? Share any wisdom you have for them. My biggest piece of advice would be to talk, mm -hmm. and talk as slowly or as quickly with your story as you want to. Mm -hmm. If it means only saying, Sarah, this happened to me. I don't want to talk about it right now in detail, but this happened. Mm -hmm. You let your shoulders drop down a little bit. Mm -hmm. They're not so tight up 
towards your ears and you don't feel like it's all on you. Mm-hmm. Someone knows and and then they can they can support you along the way. And it might be something super simple mm-hmm. that you don't even know is a support for your survivorship. Mm-hmm. But you're creating this sense of security with mm-hmm. someone else. Or when you're ready, share the story in full and give it to people. Mm-hmm. And give it in the sense that they might not ever experience the same thing as you, mm-hmm. but now they know someone they can go to yeah. that they can relate with even if it's not the same type of survivorship. Mm-hmm. I have a, a friend that has survived some abuse, and we don't see each other frequently, but one thing that she's doing is beginning to share her story, and I feel this deep connection to her. Our survivorship is totally different mm-hmm. from each other, mm-hmm. but I feel like my whispers can be heard by her, mm. and it's a safe place to give that whisper. So that's what I would give women. Move, like I started with in survivorship, move as swiftly or as slowly Mm. as you want and do the same thing in sharing your story. Our stories are meant to be told. Mm -hmm. They're not meant to stay with inside us. So Mm -hmm. get it. Yeah, I say all the time our collective stories heal us collectively. Well, thank you so much for coming on, your wisdom, your courage, your honesty. I'm very grateful for it. Thank you. Thank you, Sarah. All right, friends, that's it for our time with Katie. I am so hopeful that you found something for yourself in Katie's words. I know that I did. I uh, lost a baby to miscarriage in between my second and third child. And I know at the time I was astounded by the amount of pain I was in. Um, It was a very real grief process that to this day, if one of the kids talks about, uh, we named the baby Baby Grace. If, If one of the kids talks about Baby Grace, I can still feel that weight in my chest. I am hopeful that Katie's words give all of us the permission that we need to understand that loss is a loss because it meant something to you. It doesn't need to be compared to someone else's loss or grief, you know? I think that's so easy to do to think, I don't know, she's lost more than I have or suffered more than I have, so I shouldn't feel the way that I do. And uh, I think we're just shrinking ourselves in that space. So this is one of the ways I believe that we can take up space to make as much room as we need for the things that are painful to us so that we can process through them and live in a space that feels whole and integrated and alive. I'm hopeful that Katie's story today will invite all of us to that place. If you loved today's episode, make sure that you subscribe to the podcast and leave us a review so that other people can find us. I will leave some links for survivors in the show notes for today. I'll also leave an excerpt from Katie's interview on the website at www.thebeautifulproject.com. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram for all the latest in our storytelling collective. And as always, thank you so much for lending your voice to our chorus of courage today as we create a world where women belong with substance and with strength. I'll see you all soon.